0: Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zeffert. This past weekend, I visited Jan Smuts' house in Arini. The house is a museum that looks to display the lifestyle and multifaceted career of one of the towering personalities of South African history, Jan Christian Smuts. Smuts gained international fame as a statesman, soldier, soldier. And philosopher. What is not generally known about him is that he was one of the main driving forces behind the Balfour Declaration. In recognition of his lifelong support for the Jewish people, a kibbutz in his name was, a kibbutz was named after him in Israel. Kibbutz Yohanan. Smuts' great-grandson, Philip Bares, joins me now to tell me more about this incredible man. Mr. Bares, welcome and thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. you A little bit of hearing
0: your voice. Um, uh, Mr. Fares, on the weekend, I visited Jan Smuts' house. And he is such a character, such a personality, greatly loved overseas, particularly. How was it growing up as a descendant of such a legendary figure?
1: That's an interesting question because um, I was born... Eight years after he died, and obviously you then had the nationalist government um, who almost universally regarded him as a traitor. He sold out to the British. Um, he forgot about the ravages of the concentration camps uh, during the Boer War, um, and by befriending the British. Um, so soon afterwards, um, they, they regarded him as a, as a traitor. Um what people tend to forget though is that obviously the, um his, his, uh, closing up, if one could phrase it like that, to the British was to achieve union, which he, man- he managed to do along with Louis in 1910. So, it was not something that, um that one bandied about, um in my childhood. You, you know, he didn't go around and say, oh, I'm young Smuts, grandson. but having said which at the same time, if you mention the word nationalist, in any one of our family houses he would have to go and eat for lunch outside <laughs> um, and uh, so it was quite difficult um, um, having a father who followed his, his grandfather's footsteps at Cambridge University at Christ College um, and was a member of the uh, sort of a force member of the South African Air Force which uh, the OBAS was um, instrumental in founding when he um, instructed Sir Peter Renafield to do so um, in 1920 um, made me very keenly aware of my history and obviously when um, when things changed um, and their boss uh, was far more acceptable uh, today than he ever was to the next. It, it became easier and people sort of came out of the woodwork at that stage and said, oh, yes, saying no, he was a great guy off the office. So I think it's difficult, but um, um, not something that you bandied about and um, it's, it's much, much easier now. But there's, there's always been this... Uh, certainly from my perspective, and I know every one of my cousins, uh, an enormous sense of pride in, in, in what he
0: achieved. Uh, I remember learning at the house that Jan Smuts had, and, and obviously his wife had, I think, nine children, um, seven of whom, are, are, is that correct? And where are all? where is all his family?
1: He had... Uh, the first three of the children of, of his and our most children um, didn't survive. The first two, the two was born in 1897. And um, the second one um, in 1899. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, good. I'm going to cross across the line, I think. Okay. Um, and my my grandmother was the first of his children to survive who he was born in 1902. And so they had... He and Omar had six children who survived into adulthood. Um, and then they fostered a, a daughter as well. Who, So for all intents and purposes, they, they had seven children. The one that um, survived the longest was the youngest of few, who was the foster daughter. Um, and we lost her, uh, I'm guessing, about four years ago. Um, and um, they, uh, my grandmother, we lost already in 1956. So they're all gone now and in fact many of the grandchildren um are gone already. There are very, very few grandchildren um that survived to this day mm. um, A a number obviously of great grandchildren of which I am one, um, are still around at the time. I'm probably the most active um, of the great grandchildren in, in smut Okay.
0: So
1: um, yeah, so they are all um, you know, we, we we don't we don't see each other all well that often because we the um spread around the world, literally. Right. But there are no surviving children and um, very few surviving grandchildren Excellent. at this
0: stage. Um, uh, Philip, the house is pretty much as it was a century ago. What is its current status?
1: Theresa, it is. Uh, that's also a good question. Um, very briefly, the history of um, this the property was, along with many others, um, inherited by his children. Prior to his death, and he decreased the property on which the house is uh, on which the house stands to his the widow of his son Yopi who predeceased him. Yopi died in 1948, and um, his wife Kitty inherited, um, like all the other children, um, equally. And um, what transpired then was that she lived in Johannesburg, and the road network, as it was then, was nowhere, nothing like it is today. And she had a number of children, all, all of whom were school-going. Um, and put the property on the market. And there was a deal that was going through where a German consortium was wanting to establish a sanatorium. And Guy Braithwaite, who was a soldier and a veteran, um, figured out that there was, in fact, two things wrong with that. Now, bear in mind, this is... um, and uh, not for that many years after the end of the Second World War, he determined that, in fact, this was not acceptable because there were two things wrong. The one was that there were going to be German buyers, which to him was unacceptable, um, and that, was, that it was going to be a sanatorium. So he bought, the, uh, bought uh, 55 Morgan um, of, of the inheritance of um, in aunt Kitty and uh, included the house. And then it created what was called then the General Smith War Veterans Foundation. And it was a consortium or a collection of Second World War veterans, uh, most notably the moths in those days. And they then, uh, carried out fundraising, um, and paid Guy Bessette back. Now what is interesting from, um, from a Jewish perspective is that, uh, Guy Bessette was the first chairman of the General Smith War Veterans Foundation. The second one, was Dr. Henry Gluckman, who was Jewish and was a minister in Elbaz's cabinet, and he was our second chairman. And we've had over the over the years a number of forays or a number of initiatives prompted by the then national monuments, um, national museums bodies, to, for all intents and purposes, take over the operations of the Smuts House Museum. Now. The problem with that was that while it had been a alienation of property, what would happen though, is that they, um, and it was a nationalist, um, run-off operation obviously the Nationalist Department, a Nationalist Government Department, they would have been in a position to dictate to us how we operated the museum, and that was unacceptable to us because with their dislike of, uh, of of the and um, that was not going <laughs> to work for us. So we rejected all the... Um, the, the initiatives that they put forward to us it would have removed all financial problems it, it's, um, it would have mm-hmm. just taken them all away they would have covered salaries and operating costs and given operating budgets and so on um, and then now obviously with with the ANC um, running the country um, we are far more amenable to the um Mandela himself um, had a great degree of respect for OBS and um, now that we retain certainly an autonomy of of operation, of course the ANC has hasn't got any money because uh, it's all being filtered away in various the various manners. But um, so what, the, the the end result is that the Smuts House Museum um, is independently owned and operated, uh, which creates all sorts of financial problems. You know when we create a budget, we actually uh, figure out how much we're going to have to spend in the next twelve months, and then uh try and work out how they're going to earn the money to do so. Um, we have a number of of um, have had a number of benefactors in the past, um uh, notable South Africans such as the, uh, the Harry Oppenheimer himself, uh Anton Rupert, um Doctor Conrad, Conrad Strauss from Standard Bank. <clears throat> and it remains a huge challenge. Fin- financially it is it is always it is always challenged, always. There is never enough money to do anything we'd like to do. Um and um, it is interesting to note, and I've said this on more than one occasion, um, also on my tour of Israel, um, which Peter Bailey and Doug Crofnick and, and Rob have kindly arranged for me. Um, I've made note of the fact that when um, we are in need of some assistance, the South African Jewish community are always ahead at the, at the front of the queue to help, uh, which I find is fantastic.
0: Well, you mentioned your visit to Israel, and maybe we can uh, explore that. While you were there, did you visit uh, Kibbutz Yohanan?
1: Yes, I did. Um, the same three gentlemen, um, which is Peter Bailey, um, Joel Kutnik and uh, Rob Hyde, along with um, Eric Glick, and I'm sure that many Khyas uh, listeners in South Africa will remember the four of them. Um, four actually, the delightful gentlemen. Um, privilege to call friends um, arrange what they call tiyos. Now tiyos is a new word for me <laughs> um, which basically is, is a tour in, in Hebrew I understand and we went off to uh, by, by bus loads to Ramach uh, Yohanan and Sam um, I did a talk there and it's a remarkable kibbutz it really is um, fascinating for me to learn how they, how they go about things um, they own the kibbutz owns the third largest polycarbonate company on earth. Um, and the interesting thing for me there was that the chief executive of, of this enormous operation, um, he gets paid, obviously, a very good salary. And that gets paid to the kibbutz. And he, like everybody else in the kibbutz, earns 3,600 shekel, uh, 3, shekels a month from the itself. so And he doesn't have a car. And he doesn't own his own home and so it's all quite a revelation to me but wonderful people and remarkably successful the books um, a real privilege to have
0: been able to do it and I think what people don't know I mean uh, Jan Smuts is possibly more respected overseas than he, he was in South Africa but he, he played an enormous role in the international world including initiating and helping with the Balfour Declaration
1: in the meeting of the minds. Uh, in early nineteen seventeen when the Aubas met um Khain and they enjoyed each other's uh, company tremendously they became very close personal friends. Uh to the extent that in later years Khan Weichmann actually visited much house in Ari. Uh, it's on our, our VIP visitors list. Um and what what was created by that was the OBAS was sitting on the then Imperial War Cabinet and he was um uh, a member whose word was taken most seriously and uh, he had a huge influence and w- the, the situation that was created was that when high Weissman and the obos had sat down and had a chat um about the the prospects of of a homeland for the jewish people the obos was um, able to feed that those sentiments um, and obviously he agreed with him um he was able to feed those sentiments straight into the war Cabinet. Um, it needs to be noted as well, I think, that the Abbas was, um, was what, well, he was termed a Christian Zionist. Um, and I would regard myself as a Christian Zionist as well. Um and he fully believed and completely subscribed to the establishment of the Jewish homeland in Palestine. Um, and it wasn't for political reasons that uh, were very likely painted the efforts of, um of, of the of the British uh, members of the cabinet. Um, and for him it was a, a matter of historical greatness, and um it was the historical home and, and, and had to be restored as such. So for him it was just a matter of sentiment. Having grown up as a fairly conservative Calvinist Christian, um, he fully really, uh subscribes to the idea that Palestine uh, should be the Jewish homeland. That is the ancestral historical homeland that needed to be restored. So, they also were able to exert a lot of influence in terms of how the Balfour Declaration was drafted. Um, and um, Hein Weissman himself said afterwards that uh, had there been no Smuts, there would have been no Balfour Declaration. Mm. And that's something I'm particularly proud of.
0: It's absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, Philip, again, also while in, in Jan Smuts' house, the, the, the history of the time really comes ar- alive and you read about the royal visit uh, that and how Jan Smuts and Izzy hosted the royal family in their house and you also read a little bit about the Kruger Millions. Do you have any idea where they might be because it may be a useful way to restore the house?
1: <laughs> the, the enigma of the Kruger Millions Um they are well it 's it's, it's a, it's a highly controversial subject, obviously, and a, a great mystery. What I can tell you is that during the course of my living on the, on the property well adjacent to, to my house, um, one would wake up on a Monday morning and find that during the weekend overnight, um, hole would have been dug presumably <laughs> on the basis of some person having you know, been told by his father or grandfather that this is the millions of Um I, I don't think I don't think for a second that they're on the farm. It'd be really nice if they were. <laughs> um, but I don't think so. and I, I think that's what actually did happen was that the, the, the millions were railed away and, um, and used for the the then war or for effort. But to, uh, um, I wish I could find them, but I don't think they're there.
0: Um, with regard to the future of the house, um, it is on the 2017 most endangered cultural heritage. W- what are you hoping? What is the next step?
1: What we, what we need to do at the house um, is we need to a, a house museum by the very nature of, of, uh, of the description means that you try and recreate as far as possible how the house was um, when, when it was occupied in Ireland in this case by by the Oba and Omar. Um, but one needs taking that cognizance of that one needs though to um, to modernize it to the extent that the 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 visitor arrives at the house is able to um get a a mechanism, an electronic normally mechanism at, at reception and when he gets to, or she gets to a certain room he's able to push a button and be told what mm. you know well, what what the various uh, exhibits uh, the significance of them is. Um and that all costs an enormous amount of money. Mm. That's from the really, really, really practical visitor's point of view. Um the, the other thing that needs to be done is that the house itself is structured. Now, bear in mind that the, the structure has now been there for 108 years. Um, and the Oblast, in fact, bought the property 110 years ago. But what it means, though, is that for the house that's that's so old, um, is that it is, it is showing where signs of wear and tear. The, the timber sometimes is, is not as strong as it should be or as we would like mm. Um, so there's constant maintenance, maintenance that is required and being a wooden iron structure with corrugated iron after walling and tongue and groove um, would probably um, uh, a pine of some sort um, interior walling um, it means that it is a huge fire risk it's a massive fire risk and to be able to, to control that threat by passively um, the the, the the vulnerable areas with some other um, chemical which would retard fire and then um, more actively putting in mechanisms that would um, detect the fire and and nullify it uh, before it is able to take hold that's is of huge importance and uh, in, in the same vein the you would have seen the OBASA study mm. um, at the top end of the passage um, now that is a registered cultural treasure so what it was that is, is that it is irreplaceable, effectively, mm. um, and anything that needs to be done or is done within that room has to go to the uh, South African Heritage Resource Agency. Um, but one cannot um, use any fire retardant within that uh, mm. within that room because of the value, the sheer uh, priceless value of the books. So that's it. Uh, that, that's all cost enormous amount of money, and there are experts um, who. Um, have advised us um, as, as to what best would be done but when, when we're talking um, you know, multiples of millions mm. um, to actually achieve that where the house is safeguarded against fire where, um, where it's going to keep continuing standing hopefully for another hundred years mm. um, and where the visitor is able to come to the house and have a, a more enriching more informative experience um, by fully being able to um, appreciate the, the value or the of what are all of the exhibits and artifacts in the house.
0: Well, um, Philip, we have to end the interview there. But are there any contact details that you'd like to give if anybody would be interested in helping in any way?
1: What I would suggest, uh please, and thank you for the opportunity, um, is if, if, if one is to if one is to Google um, uh, Young Smuts Museum or Smuts House Museum, they usually have a web page. And there are full contact details on that. Um and, and that is probably the best way to go about it. Um the, we also are fortunate to have a very active um Friends Association, um, a friends body who do an enormous amount of very, very good work um for for Smuts House. Um so there's they have a web page as well, the, the the Friends of the the Friends of Smut House. Um and that should certainly I think be the, the easiest way of um of making contact electronically would be be the best because obviously um, uh, we used to have landlines there but um, um, the cables there Mm -hmm. just seem to disappear within 24 hours and every every time they're replaced so um, I would suggest um, if anybody is interested in getting involved um, and I know that there are 100,000 people who are going to hear this the the work would be the easiest and most expeditious way of achieving
0: that and I would certainly urge our community to go and visit the house. It is an important and interesting part of our history and certainly worth the visit. So um, thank you very much, Mr. Philip Baez, for joining me on High FM. You yeah, are extremely
1: welcome. And I'm delighted to have you on High FM again. Thanks.